At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm talking to the co-founder and CEO of FreshBooks, the world's number one cloud accounting software for self-employed professionals. If FreshBooks sounds familiar, it's probably because you're a podcast listener and you've either heard them have ad spots on this very show or on a number of other podcasts. I've been extremely appreciative of FreshBooks support in the past, and in this conversation, with Mike McDermott. We talk about the importance of culture and specifically the culture he's set up at FreshBooks. We talk about one of the unique things that they do at FreshBooks, which is using blind dates to create a collaborative workspace. And then we get into from the macro level of the company down into the micro level of how Mike as a CEO is productive on a daily basis. So let's jump right into this conversation with Mike McDermott. This week, it's my privilege to welcome to the show Mike McDermott, the co-founder and CEO of FreshBooks. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, Eric. Great to be here. So I'm going to start off and just say I've been super appreciative of over, uh, gosh, three... I've been doing this show six years. I know at least back as far as three to four years ago, I've had consistently on and off again FreshBooks as a sponsor for the show. So, you know, I just got to say thanks to that, you know, First and foremost, because it's been awesome. Uh, well, th- thank you. There's uh, uh, all kinds of people out there who are trying to make the most of their lives and their time, and and you're helping with that. So we're uh, we're glad to uh, sort of support you in those efforts for the many people, FreshBooks customers, and not who, uh, yeah, who are trying to put their time to good use. Without going into like a sales pitch, what is FreshBooks? <laughs> okay, okay, uh, yeah ridiculously easy to use invoicing and accounting software that's in the cloud so you can access it on any device. As I like to say, uh, if you invoice, you need fresh books. We, we don't do retail. We don't do restaurants. We're just built for people who, who send invoices, get paid for their time and expertise. And we serve people with no employees up to people with uh, a lot of employees. Perfect. Hey, that's probably one of the more succinct like sales pitches I've ever seen. So, you know, uh, the next time FreshBooks is a sponsor, I'm coming back here and I'm going to copy that text out. So, (laughs) okay, good deal, good deal. I I think you might be the first time I've had an actual CEO. I mean, other people have maybe claimed that, and you know, they're CEO of their small business, but like you're a large business and you're the CEO. So, this is a little bit interesting to me talking to you as someone who's probably the person I've talked to who's in charge of the most people or has the most team members, I should say. So kind of from a macro level, you've got a lot of insight. And uh, I know FreshBooks is an insanely useful tool in and of itself, but you guys as a company have this view of putting culture, uh, or you do at least, uh, putting culture as your number one priority. Why is that? 
Yeah, I was infected very early on um, as an entrepreneur with um, this this notion that, that the culture really matters. And uh, I had a couple just data points where uh, I had an advisor who was like, oh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I was like, you know, frankly, I don't even understand what that means at the <laughs> time because I'd, I'd never worked anywhere else. Like I, I didn't I didn't really get it. But um, you know, if you think about culture as the thing that happens when nobody's looking, right? And then you think about trying to grow and, and, and scale. It's the behaviors like of a group of people, you know, really, again, you know, when no one's looking, what's the default uh, set of patterns? And if you think about, uh, you know, we've always been obsessed with customer experience. Um, then the, you know, the art of it is like, I'm certainly not overseeing every interaction of every person in the company. But if we want to have, you know, we have this, uh, our credo is execute extraordinary experiences every day, whether it's building products, how we answer the phone on service, the experience we want you to have if you're working with a salesperson. Uh, as a fresh booker, an employee, we want your, you know, your career here to, you know, like feel really good every day and you'd be excited to come into work. So this this 4E mantra really matters. And, and um, you know, since, you know, as much as I care about it, I can't be there for everyone's every interaction. The question then becomes, well, how do you how do you build a culture that continuously reproduces, um, you know, that ethos. So, you know, so, so, you know, your customers are, are having great experiences delivered to them through software. So your employees are really excited and, and proud to be a member of the team. And, 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 and so that's, you know, that I came to understand, oh, you know, that the culture is kind of the difference on, on a lot of these things. And um, it's this intangible, hard to measure thing that makes, you know, two, Seemingly identical companies in the same category uh, actually be completely uh, different in terms of their ability to compete, their ability to you know deliver uh, an experience for their employees uh, that those employees love. Um, yeah, so that's the um, that's the the long winded uh, answer to your question, I suppose. What kind of are the the values or the the ethos that that you have as your FreshBooks culture? that ethos is really execute extraordinary experiences every day. You, you need a little more. So that's the directional. That's kind of like mm -hmm. the North star of every moment is like, Hey, is, it was that a, we call it four E a four E experience for, you know, whoever you were interacting with. Um, and then yeah, it's helpful to have some guardrails. So we do have a, a series of values uh, that, that are kind of get more specific around, Hey, how does a fresh booker conduct themselves? And uh, we call those values porch fest. It's an acronym. Um, and so, you know, things like, you know, lots of companies have passion as a value. The, the difference would be with us is how we define it, which is, you know, we're continuously working on our craft. If we weren't doing it here, we'd be doing it somewhere else. So we want to get people with a, a learning orientation who, um, who, who love what they do so much, they're going to be, you know, reading about it and trying to improve when they go home at night. Uh, because, you know, I have a belief the world's changing really fast and, you know, you can't pay somebody to want to learn what it is you need them to learn. Uh, they have to intrinsically want that. And so, so, you know, we look to hire those people. We look to foster an environment where that, that passion is both rewarded and encouraged. Uh, that'd be an example if you took one of our, our values and, and sort of exploded it a little bit. Very cool. So I mean, you said it a couple of times now, and it's four E's and execute extraordinary experiences every day. Is that yes, it? sir. Got it. Okay. So, I mean, that's still uh, I, one. I love the alliteration there. I love that it's easy to remember because see, I've only heard it twice and now I've got it. How do you plant the seeds of that? And, you know, is there any kind of measurement? Like you say, yes, we have this culture, but how do you really know you have that culture? Mm -hmm. 
Um, well, this is the hard thing about culture is like, you know, it doesn't show up on an Excel spreadsheet, <laughs> uh, which is, uh, you know, which, you know, is really uh, kind of makes it challenging in many regards. And so uh, the, the first thing is it starts with belief. Like you got to believe, you got to want to believe. And, you know, I think you got to bring people in who, who may just be so crazy as to believe and then help them believe uh, and then sustain that belief with how you behave. So let me uh, take those high level words and turn it into some more specific stuff. Um, so, you know, recruiting and hiring and finding people who, you know, are attracted to the kind of place we're trying to build and perhaps more importantly, why we're trying to build it. Uh, who, who we believe, you know, will, you know, left their own devices, uh, you know, behave in a similar way. They may have completely different political views. You know, it's it's not about homogeny. It's around sort of fundamental values. And when push comes to shove, like, hey, do you stand firm on, yes, this matters for a customer? Or are you going to capitulate and be like, this is the best thing for the bottom line? I don't care about the customer. So, um, so you're hiring and you're looking for that. Um, then when people join the company, everyone actually spends their first month in customer service. And that is uh, at once a surprise, but also probably part of, you know, what leads us to the magic place. Like, how do we how do we imbue in people what it means to deliver 4E? And, uh, and, and so that that, you know, our customer service team, again, back to how do you know? Well, you know, you know it when you feel it. I know it when I talk to people who are coming out of their first month. If they feel differently about this thing, if they feel supported while they're here, uh, those are you know some some anecdotal kinds of ways. We, we compete with people in the industry like Zappos and Rackspace for top customer service awards, and you know uh, repeatedly win those. We've got a whole a whole trophy case. So uh, you know may not be known, but you know we compete uh, you know uh, against others of our. Our peers and, and uh, sort of the standard we're looking to set on service, and so that's one way we know we win, and we uh, participate in things like great places to work surveys, like Google and and uh, you know Facebook and all those folks. They compete in like uh, Fortune 500. We're, we're less than a thousand employees. That's where we compete, and you know, and, and we win those. And those are sort of as determined by employees through data across 50 countries, uh, that kind of stuff. So. Um, so it, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a mix, you know, and in between it's, it's culture. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of putting people in a customer service role for their first, you know, uh, you know, hit, they, they hit the ground running in kind of a, in the trenches high, you know, almost high pressure. I mean, you're dealing directly with a customer and, and especially if that's not necessarily what you've been hired to do, it, it gives you that kind of cross, uh, pollination of ideas and experiences, uh, of what somebody else in the company is doing. Uh, I, I agree. I believe in what I call customer proximity and, you know, the further you get away from your customer and the less time you spend with them, you know, fundamentally, the more detached your decision making, um, and I think you know that generally leads to uh, decay, in my experience. So yeah, getting people uh, to spend time with customers up front uh, pays off a lot. And one of the things we work at are finding other ways to get people reintroduced to the customer over and over again over the over the years. Uh, I know one of the other cool things that you do, which also involves kind of a, a cross pollination uh, experience, is this idea of having your employees go on blind dates together. Now that's not like literal <laughs> blind dates, but it's blind, uh, you know, coffee or lunch dates. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, uh, that's right. We call it blind dates, but it's really around, Hey, you you can put your hat in a ring and say, I, I'd like to meet some other people at the company. 
and we do this little matchmaking service and it's groups of three or four. So it's not, you know, it's not like two people going out on gotcha. a quote unquote date. It's, it's a group of people who will grab coffee. Maybe it's two 30 in the afternoon in our, in our kitchen. Maybe they'll, they'll go out to lunch. And the idea is we, uh, you know, and then when I say we, it's, uh, the, you know, people who choose to, it's a volunteer thing. They, they came out of nowhere. It wasn't sort of mandated. Uh, it's run by uh, some folks in our, our service team, actually, because they meet everybody at the start. And then they start to realize, well, not everybody does. And how do we get them connected? Uh, and so they'll, they'll take you and say your department and figure out, like, are you likely to spend time with this person day to day in your day to day role? Uh, and if not, you're a great candidate to go out on, uh, you know, to be paired up with someone else who put their hand up and said, I'd like to meet some more people. And so you just get these cross company connections happening that you wouldn't happen otherwise. And, and you know, to my mind, that has a bunch of benefits. Uh, one is, um, I believe it's shared history with people. It kind of, you know, binds you to a place. Uh, but it also means, you know, the next time you look over at, let's say, the finance department, uh, and if you hadn't met anybody there before, but now you just went out on one of these things, you, you feel a little more connected and it's a little less sort of far away, uh, if you will. And um, I, I think all of that just contributes to creating the kind of environment people would rather be in where the place feels small, even if we're, we're growing and, and getting big. I like that. It's an opportunity and not a necessity. You know, you're not forced to it's voluntary. One of the cool things is that, yeah, again, making friends at work doesn't always, I mean, we're used to, you know, TV shows like the office and things like that, where, you know, uh, you you go into it watching the humor, the cringeworthy humor of kind of the friction of coworkers, but Anybody who's watched the entire series knows that in the end, like, they really do all end up kind of being, like, extended family. And that's rightfully so because you spend so much time uh, in the workplace with your coworkers. Why not feel a, a stronger sense of kinship with them? Why not? Right? Why not? And uh, and I think sometimes you just need to ease people on the pathway to make that happen because you can show up every day and just go to your desk and, and plug away on your computer, depending on what you're doing. We're, we're a little more collaborative than that by nature. But, but you know, why not? Why wouldn't you want to have, you know, a, an experience where you spend, I don't know, let's call it at least 40 hours a week, you know, probably, you know, more than with any group in, in your family often, um, you know, sad as that may be in this day and age, but also true of your waking hours, um, you know, wh why wouldn't you want to have that experience be uh, a little more familiar, a little more in enjoyable, right? And uh, I think that's, uh, you know, I, I hate the notion of people who go to work at a place where they can't stand the people there. People do it, uh, but I, I don't get it. Yeah, it's, it's always better to have, you know, comrades in arms, again, when you're doing something that long, you know, day in and day out. I I'm curious, what does the the workspace like the layout look like for you? I know you kind of almost float around the building, but what's the rest of it look like? Like, let's talk about this work environment a little bit. Uh, I'll start with the principles uh, through which we designed it. Um, I like to design for the three, what I call the three C's in office space. So uh, connectedness, collisions, and uh, collaboration. And so, you know, what connectedness is about is, to me, it's you want to... Um, not feel like you close the door and it's just you in a room, right? And if you go into an office. So, um, you know, for example, I am sitting in a room right now, but the room has, um, you know, two walls of glass on it. And I can see probably 50 people right now. 
and they can and they can see me. Um, they they're sitting largely in, in open uh, like it's basically open concept. They're really we we have kind of meeting rooms versus you know offices for people. So that that the sense of being connected. The other thing is uh, the office space that we came into has a massive floor plate, and so you know we're about three hundred people on one floor, and it just runs. And you can see pretty much from one end to the other, there's a corner, so you can kind of can't see the last little bit. But all of that just leads to a sense of like, hey, we might be a large organization, but, you know, look over there and you see like kind of all the departments. And that I think that contributes to the sense of the place being a little smaller. Uh, so collisions is around how do we architect the space so people will, you know, be... Uh, naturally find themselves walking a handful of smaller paths, things like to get to the kitchen, there's only one way. And it's, by the way, it's central. You got to walk by a lot of people to get there. You know, the bathrooms are kind of strategically located so that you know people bump into each other and you have those hallway conversations where, you know, things things happen and, and uh, you catch up with somebody like, oh, I didn't know you were working on that. And geez, maybe I should let you know about this. That, you know, that is actually really important. Uh, the larger you get to kind of like fight fight that scale. Uh, and then um, uh, collaboration is just really around the, the workspaces themselves. You know, that's it's open concept. We offer everybody like a stipend so they can buy headphones if they want to like zone out uh, and be super productive. But it's, you know, it's kind of open concept for desks. Uh, you know, it lets us move them around a whole bunch. You know, the meeting rooms are filled with uh, with whiteboards. And so, um, you know, uh, forgive me for kind of rambling on a little bit, but those are the you know three things we design our office space around. So what does it actually look like? Well, it looks like, you know, meeting rooms that, you know, you can see into. So you can always see people, senior leadership team and everything. We have a couple of rooms, you know, for HR reasons or, you know, long range planning reasons that, you know, you you don't have as much visual ability to look into. But, you know, those are like, you know, like one percent of the meeting rooms. It kind of looks like a a lofty converted space, uh, you know, kind of brick and beam uh, sort of environment otherwise. Very cool. It sounds like you've got a good mix between about three different things. I mean, not the things, definitely the things you mentioned. (laughs) I was going to say not the things you mentioned. No, definitely the things you mentioned, but also this kind of balance between focused work individually, focused work as a group, and then large communal interaction. Try and find that balance. Uh, we really do. Um, you know, we just came up from uh, every week we you know, feed everyone lunch and host a thing called shorthands, which is like one of those more communal things, right? It's optional, right? We probably usually get about a third of the company who come and sit and listen to presentations from other people in the company with you know projects they're working on and results and did you know and maybe some educational stuff or a guest speaker, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that would be more communal and the other parts. Yeah. I mean, I, ultimately a company is kind of a little community, right? And so having these different forums to get people together and, and to radiate information, um, you know, that kind of thing, it's, it's critically important. Well, and again, you having the ability right now to sit down in a room where you and I are talking, and of course you don't want all the background noise from everywhere else in the building to, to bleed into this conversation that we're recording. Or even if you were literally trying to sit there and work on something that's you and you alone, I mean, I guess some buzz kind of helps depending upon who you are and what your work style is. But you've got these, you know, pockets of places where there's semi visual, less visibility or more visibility or, or, you know, blocking stuff off to a certain, you've got like, that spectrum, in other words, which is really cool. 
Yeah, no, no. And we've had, uh, we realized we didn't have enough of some of the pieces. And so we created like a library, right? Where it's like, oh. you can go in there and work, but you can't talk, right? And nice. then there's some other pieces where you can go to, which, you know, are not desk spaces and you can go and work and you can talk, but, you know, mostly people are there to just work. So, you know, don't push it. It takes a whole bunch of these pieces to, to make it all uh, happen and, and deliver all the experiences for people, given the context they're, they're hunting at the time. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. September is National Life Insurance Awareness Month. Most people aren't aware of that. In fact, most people aren't aware they need life insurance at all. That's why 40% of people don't have it. But getting life insurance doesn't need to be difficult or expensive. Right now, prices are the lowest they've been in 20 years, and Policy Genius has made it easier than ever to get covered. Policy Genius is an easy way to get life insurance online. In just two minutes, you can compare quotes from the top insurers to find the best policy for you. And they don't just make life insurance easy. They also compare disability insurance, renter's insurance, and health insurance. If you care about it, they can cover it. So if you're looking for a good reason to buy life insurance, here's three. It's National Life Insurance Awareness Month. Prices are at a 20-year low. And Policy Genius makes it easy to get the right policy for you. Go to policygenius.com, get quotes, and apply in minutes. You can do the whole thing on your phone right now. Make sure to use the promo code BEYOND. Again, go to policygenius.com, get quotes and apply in minutes, and you can do the whole thing on your phone right now. Policy Genius, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. We're kind of moving from the company at large, big, and then smaller down into you individually. So let's just continue that path of that funnel. So I want to know more about how it is that you do your work. How What's your workflow like? And if it's even possible, what's an average day for you look like? I've lost the plot on what an average day for me is. <laughs> I think, um, you know, uh, if I'm at the office, I'm, I'm largely with people start to finish. So I have very little kind of independent working time. And funnily enough, I'm trying to work some of that back into my days. But um, uh, yeah, my, my days are, um, yeah, not, I, I, I mean, I spent the last couple of days on planes. You know, it's a, you, you, you really don't know, but generally meeting with people. And um, uh, let, let's start there and I'll let you kind of <laughs> see where you want to take it from from that uh, that kind of high level. Uh, gosh, I couldn't tell you what a normal day looks like. Yeah. So I guess what I'm asking here is in the conversation that we just talked about in terms of what the workspace looks like, mm -hmm. is there an office that's just mics somewhere? So we worked 
for years and years and years, there was not. There's a room where I conduct a lot of like one-on-one meetings. It's this one that I'm in right now with two glass walls. It's actually stationed near the restroom. So I see lots of people and lots of people see me. Uh, given the nature of my role, I, I generally do. I have a senior team who I spend time with one-on-one. And and uh, so it's harder to do that stuff in, in open space. And and since I'm in meeting most of the time, it's nice to have a room that's largely dedicated to me. But then I'm out in other meeting rooms, meeting with all kinds of other folks, uh, lots as well. And then obviously have commitments outside the building. So it's good that it's got that glass there because then people see that you're present as often as you are present, even I, though, you know, you just said I, you've been on planes a lot lately. Yeah, I, I am super, I'm a super big believer of that. Like, you know, and it also, yeah, like present and kind of not hiding. By the way, the same place is at the top of the stairs. So anyone going to lunch or whatever, like it's, I deliberately chose a place that was uh, super visible. And, and the intent there is to make me, you know, less scary because I'm not working behind closed doors. And more accessible, so you can walk up and you know bump into me sort of more naturally. Uh, and it also helps me, you know, smile. And you know, people are walking by. Well, we're on this call, and I'm, you know, giving people a smile as they yeah. go about their their, their day. So um, there's a, the, for a whole bunch of reasons, uh, you know, that's how it is. We we didn't set out, we didn't build it to be my office, the one I'm in. But I, you know, I just happen to do a lot of work in this room, and it's kind of accidentally sort of become. If there was one, uh, it is one. So then it's available for others to use in that same kind of fashion if needed those days you're not around. Yeah, yeah. Sure thing. Yeah. Or even if you are around, but you're in other parts of the building doing different things, it's still, again, it's still there. How do you, if you like, you know, if you really need to focus, like, would you go into the library where it's, you know, nobody's talking and, and that, that way you've got the ability to like really focus or how does that work with you? Cause I know some people, they get easily distracted or not. Uh, where on the spectrum do you maybe put yourself? Well, I'll, you know, if I'm being candid, I would say, and I think this happens, you know, periodically, but I, I think I'm on uh, at a place right now where I'm more aggressively reevaluating where my, my time goes. And, you know, I think the past few years building the company up, getting it to, to where it is, I, you know, I've had the bias of like, I should always be working with people on stuff um, and probably, you know, groups of people and, and moving things along. Um, I, I'm now actually starting to think like, do I need more think time? And uh, I camped out. I've been kind of writing a, a book, actually, in aid of sort of scaling our, our culture. It's about 72 pages so far. It's for internal consumption. And, you know, uh, to do that, I parked myself down in in a room where I, you know, I was, you know, if people really needed to find me, I, it was clear where I was. It was kind of on the floor where our, our kitchen is. But, but I, you know, I sort of closed the door and worked in there. So I, uh, I, I wasn't as interruptible. Uh, the, the downside of the way I work is, you know, I, I can sit for about four to seven minutes tops before someone will interrupt me. Um, and that's that's kind of the nature of being uh, you know, an organizational leader. So it's harder to get that, you know, shut the door think time. And I, I used to think of like evenings and weekends as my time to do that. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm trying to I'm trying to bring that into my my work week a little more right now because, you know, it's not you know, it's not sustainable uh, to, to not have it be that way. And I think it is appropriate given some of the, you know, the longer range nature to the work I do to spend some time thinking and planning and, and such. I think it's good to hear that somebody who is this successful and a company that this, that is this successful has to 
refine and re-engineer, reinvent what does the day-to-day look like? What does, you know, in terms of the expectation, uh, self-expectations versus external expectations throughout the, the workflows based on what is needed from them at the time? You know, like, again, if, like you said, you're creating this book that's for internal company consumption. Well, that's not a, you know, a normal thing. That's a thing that you're doing for a short season and then you're done. And then, you know, so you don't need as much focus time, but again, you even reconsidering, you know what? I need more, more think time and where and when you're going to fit that in is something that I think it's encouraging for us to realize. Yeah. We can't just assume we have all the answers and never change. Yeah. You're, you're never done, right? You're never done. And, you know, it could come up that, you know, one project gets done, you know, very successfully and I get a bunch of time back and that'll change where I should focus myself or, you know, more commonly, it's like, oh, wasn't planning on that. What are you, you going to do about mm-hmm. it? Right. And does that influence, uh, you know, where your time go in a material kind of way? So, yeah, I think it's always in flux. Uh, the, the key to it is not lose the plot on what your actual priorities are, because I think if you just get sideswept by things that are coming at you, you're not going to be very effective. Uh, it's not always easy to manage, but, you know, that is actually kind of the job. Uh, I, one of the other cool things about your workflow that I did in, you know, learn about in, in some of the research here is that you're a fan of using the moleskin notebook and just a ballpoint pen and going very <laughs> analog with your tools. And I really admire that. And I think that may be uh, honestly one of your strengths when it comes to that think time, because there's tons of studies out there and, you know, I could link all up to all of them, but that you actually have a different connection to the work when you use those type of tools. Is that what you found? Oh, that is positively my experience. Like if I look at my phone, it's like I get like sucked into a nether universe. Like it just happens. And that could be an iPad or a computer. And so, you know, if I want to be more present in a meeting, having a moleskin is one way to do that. Uh, you know, jotting down your notes, you, you take different notes. I will say I grew up going to school at a time when, you know, people learned cursive and learned how to write and whatever. And so <laughs> who knows in 20 years if people you know, you know, they'd even conceive of carrying around a moleskin, but I find it helpful. Uh, and it's where I generally dump the stuff that I know is going to, you know, be at the back of my mind if I don't write it down so I can free up more space to focus on whatever I, I need to be focused on. I imagine that also contributes to your ability to focus no matter what location you're in based on the fact that you're using those analog tools. I believe so. Others may differ. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel I'm strongly impacted by by devices, you know, I would say adversely from a concentration standpoint. And that's why, for example, you know, I turn my phone off every night at nine. I probably don't go to sleep till 1030 or 11, but I need 90 plus minutes of you know time where I'm not staring at a device. And, and then I try to read. And then weekends like, you know, Friday night at seven till, you know, Sunday night at seven, I, I don't look at my phone. And it's uh, it's to kind of recharge and, and not get sort of dragged into that. You know, that that digital universe that you know there's a whole world in my phone there's a whole bunch of people trying to get a hold of me and me trying to get a hold of them it's it just you know it takes me out of being present here and, and takes me there and, and they're not the same place okay i gotta reiterate what you just said you literally turn your i mean you turn your phone off friday night at seven and don't touch it again till sunday night at seven yeah i, I might scan for text messages you know like 
maybe I, I generally try not to uh, on Saturday. Like I don't want to look at my phone on Saturday. I need a yeah. break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, and I, I, uh, I feel, I feel different and I eat less good if, if I'm looking at my phone or, you know, or I'm doing work, like that's kind of my, my definitely do not work day is Saturday. I love that you're doing that one because it's healthy and not a lot of people do that. But two, as the head of the company, that's a great example of leading by example. I like to think so. It's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? There are times when you're going to be, you know, uh, trading emails with a small team who's working on something like crazy at 11 p.m. But, you know, those need to be, you know, very far uh, between. And it's probably just my senior team. And you don't want to expose that to the rest of the company because you don't want to have the expectation they always have to have their phones on, right? Like that's that's a bad, bad thing. So, uh, so yeah, I appreciate that. I don't think I understood the importance of that a long time ago. And now things like I'll write an email maybe at, you know, 8.30 PM, but, but I won't send it till, you know, nine in the morning. Mm. Uh, Cause I don't want somebody to get it off hours. Um, you know, depending on what the, the, the sort of the, the message is. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think that is, is very important for your mental health and, uh, others, right? You need a break. You need to recharge. You need to be able to be focused and otherwise you burn out. Well, and and honestly, that's you living out the culture that you've set up because you're not showing that at any given point, Mike's going to potentially write an email and send it. And I better be checking my email a lot more often just to make sure that, you know, I don't get something from him or somebody else. That is the example I am trying to set. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very cool. Uh, so what, if you're using primarily, you know, ballpoint pen and, and moleskin notebook and you're putting your phone away, obviously you have your phone with you at times, um, you know, and you're not averse to using technology. That's what's making this conversation possible. But what other kind of technology are you using? The rest of the time, I certainly have my phone, <laughs> right? I've got my earbuds in now because I like those. Uh, the number of calls that I do, it, they're, they're helpful. I'm relatively more simple. I don't use a lot of apps or what have you to get my work done. I got Moleskine, the phone, my inbox, my phone. I kind of, I kind of like being that simplistic about it and almost that boring. Um, you know, I'm starting to play a little around with, with uh, you know, sort of just even like note-taking uh, things and lots of people have used things like Evernote. I'm starting to use the baked, baked in notepad on iOS, but you know, really, I, I really just try to, I do try to keep it that simple because you know, there's enough complexity otherwise. And if you're switching context and switching apps and all these other things, I, I, I sometimes find that people who are most, you know, sort of freakishly into productivity have so many tools that they use to get there that I half wonder if they're getting there, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Your simplicity is, is, I mean, it, just in this whole conversation, your simplicity is coming through and it's definitely kind of a Zen vibe that I'm getting where it's like, you know what? Like, no, I don't have to be all over the place frantic. It's very much, this is what I'm using. This is where I am. This is what I'm doing. And where I am, I'm present. I like this. I like it a lot. I, I think, and that's been a journey. And I think uh, I'll say the last few years of my career have been trying to become more and more present after years of kind of running around like crazy, right? Uh, and thinking that was the faster path and realizing now, hey, there's actually so much going on. It's unmanageable with that set of behaviors. And therefore, I actually need to uh, sort of go to this, you know, more mindful approach to things. 
simpler tools, you know, I, I literally, I do love to-do lists, by the way. Like I dump <laughs> things in a to-do list until I can cross them off and I love crossing them off. But, um, but yeah, I don't need a whole bunch more ways to do that. And I, I do want to be present because I'll be the most effective uh, for the people that I'm with at that time if I am. So you're a CEO and, and some people would say, okay, so you've got to have like an assistant who, you know, does manages your calendar and, and books appointments and things like that. How much of that is involved uh, with your schedule? Yeah, I, I would say we got to about 200 people where I was doing that stuff myself. And if I had a do over, I probably wouldn't go that long. I, I know one uh, <laughs> famous venture capitalist says, you know, if uh, a CEO doesn't have an, uh, an assistant at 50 people, there's something wrong with them. So I <laughs> <laughs> guess there is something wrong with me for a long time. But um, yeah, it, it's very hard to switch context. Like I want to stay at, you know, one level, but going down and, and figure out times and dates is, is another thing. And that it, it it, uh, what I have found is I'm not able to do the the you know the higher order bit as effectively if I need to go uh, down to do I, I'm good at going from different elevations not everybody is but uh, I do find it's uh, it, it 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 is not the ideal let's put it that way uh, if you're if you're doing the two so I I am grateful for and take the support of uh, you know many people on, on my team in one form or another uh, but certainly my uh, my assistant Grace is a big help. Very cool. Mike, I honestly am just kind of uh, relaxed from this conversation. I feel pretty good learning more about FreshBooks, learning more about how you're running things. Uh, honestly, this is big picture filtering down into the the minutia of the daily activity and workflow in, in a way I haven't thought about or talked about in a while with anybody on this show. So I'm really excited to have been able to talk with you. I'd love to be able to push people towards not just FreshBooks, but anything else that you would would be interested in having people take a look at. That is a, a generous offer. Let me let me give you a couple things. So first all right. of all, if you, if you invoice, you need FreshBooks. Go get your free trial at freshbooks.com. Uh, you know we are you know 20 million people use the service since we started. We are a large accounting software platform with a specialty on invoicing, time and billing, that kind of thing. Go go check us out. Please use us. Um, that's one thing. I think the other thing, uh, and I'm guessing you have some of these folks in your audience, but um, you know, I wrote a book uh, called Breaking the Time Barrier. It's free. It takes an hour to read. Uh, what you may not know is uh, been downloaded over a quarter million times, and it is it is about helping people. If you work for yourself and you charge for your services, think about pricing your services. And interestingly, it gets into thinking about time and productivity. So mm-hmm. again, it's only an hour read. It's kind of written like a fable. You may find it interesting, even if you don't um, sort of, I guess, sell or services or expertise. Um, but I encourage anybody who's, who's got an hour and wants to see the world uh, differently. It, it's kind of about value pricing and how to detach yourself from billing by the hour and, and kind of recognize more value from that. I'd encourage anybody to check that out if you're if you're working for yourself. Certainly, if you're an invoice sending business uh, or a small business owner who's who's just thinking about how much should I charge, what is my value? And I can say this, uh, you know, as kind of an endorsement. I've read it a while ago, and oh. it's really good. I need to actually pull it back out and revisit it again. So I'll link that up in the show notes to make sure everybody uh, grabs that. It's great. Well, thanks, Eric. I, I did not know. That's that's wonderful. Yeah. So, uh, Mike, it's been awesome talking with you, and uh, I'd love to, you know, maybe in the future have you back on the show and talk some more, dive a little deeper, go into different areas. But for now, we'll say goodbye, and thanks for being here. Okay, awesome, Eric. Uh, glad to have been here. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. 
Well, I want to say thanks again to Mike McDermott for stopping by and having this conversation with me. I know that it was helpful to me to reaffirm the fact that we don't always have to be on. We can unplug, we can turn off devices, we can use devices for their benefits and then walk away. Uh, I really was encouraged to see that even a CEO of a successful company, that he knows he needs to put more thinking time into his routine. But I'm curious what you got out of it, and I'd love to know if you'd drop a comment in or shoot me a line over on Twitter, that's twitter.com slash Eric with a K, the letter J F I S H E R, or go to the show notes for this episode by going to beyond the to do list.com slash two four one. And if you know of somebody who needs to hear this episode, share this episode with them. Would you do that favor for me? Thank you very much. And with that, I will say thank you for listening, and I will see you next episode.